Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, achtung. Hello and welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with uh, me, Al Murray. And me, James Holland. Now, um, I'm a comedian who likes a bit of history and James is a historian, well, he's done quite a lot of telly, actually. Um, and what we and I'm like, not very funny. Uh, well, well, no, I didn't want to go there, <laughs> but um, I wouldn't open with that. The, um, and what we like to do is talk about, we like to talk about the Second World War, don't we, James? Yeah, we like to, it's, it's banter really, isn't it? But but informed banter. We yeah, informed think. banter. And what we what we what we like to do is uh, pick up a subject, run with it, see where it takes us, uh, and we're open to people sending in their suggestions for questions, their corrections, their disagreements, and we are happy. We are happy to be corrected some of the time, isn't that right, James? Uh, I think we are, and we're also happy to um, <laughs> we're also happy to have strong opinions, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, we've had a question, haven't we? Saying, yeah. saying Churchill on the one hand, Hitler on the other. Um, was there a kind of grudging respect between the mm. two? Mm. I think the short answer, the answer to that is no, no, <laughs> no. not at all. Well, and the, and the because the, the really interesting thing is that is that Churchill, after all, sets himself out in the late thirties politically, saying, "Watch out for this guy." Yeah, and, and has the measure of Nazism, has the measure of German aims, and uh, and I don't know if he'd read Mein Kampf because not many, not very many people outside Germany have. Well, you can try, I but it will a... send you to sleep. That's the yeah, problem. Well, no, so he might have had a go. At it. It's dreadful. I'm pretty sure he probably. I think he he had. If he'd not read it, then he knew he, he knew what was in it. Yes, and uh, and so he had a a pretty good grip on on and Hitler. And certainly, as the war then runs. He very much sees him as someone that someone to be defeated. He also mocks him a great deal, calls him the corporal and all that sort of thing. Yeah, of course, yeah, the yeah. Allies' greatest military asset is that the corporal's in charge and not a general and all this sort of. And all yeah, that. to be fair, they've got a bit of a point. On that. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely right, isn't it? <laughs> but but beyond that, we I mean, he they, he didn't have any respect for Hitler, and he and no. he and he didn't he didn't. Re, I mean, what he thought of him was that this, the guy was an implacable enemy that had to be defeated. Completely. I mean, and, he set it up as a moral crusade, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, 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 indeed. And obviously, one of the things he was doing in the in the late thirties was creating political space for himself. Because after all, you can never forget how ambitious Churchill was and how ambitious was... But at the same time, that is driven by this, this belief that he is the one man that can yeah, yeah. point this out because no one else is listening. Yeah. Everyone else is sort of going, la, 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 yeah, yeah. we want to appease. And, yeah. and, and Churchill's going, no, you've got to wake up and smell the coffee. This guy's dangerous. This is where it's heading. You better stop him now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, when you feel really strongly about something, you're very keen to let anyone who will listen well, would hear it. Which was a trademark of, of his political career in the 30s anyway, because, I mean, he sided, sided with the king during the abdication crisis. Yeah. He was a very, very strong advocate um, for not letting um, India uh, gain any independence at yep. all. And was extremely, like a very, very staunch imperialist in that respect. So, so that he then uh, gets into anti anti hitlerism as it were in the late 30s it's quite, it's, it's quite it's quite an interesting place for him to end up politically given given it his is, career and it's also one of the reasons why he's quite it takes quite a long time for him to actually get back into the yeah. heart of the political fold because actually he seemed to have a kind of pretty 
dodgy record in terms of political judgment and yep. going further back beyond um, the abdication crisis and, and India and Home Rule and all the rest of it. There's also his time as Chancellor when he was, you know, the time of the general strike in 1926. Yep. Then you've got right, trying course, to get back on the gold standard and all that sort of thing. Then so you've got the Dardanelles. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that wasn't great when yeah. he was, you know. So he was kind of shop soiled by by 1940s. The thing to is, well, but when he comes back to the Admiralty in 1939, he sort of he sort of. Uh, I don't know, uh, damaged, damaged goods politically. Certainly. Yes, and when he becomes Prime Minister on the 10th of May, everyone, most people want it to be Lord Halifax because yeah. Lord Halifax is seen as this incredibly safe pair of hands, someone you can trust, someone who's going to keep his head, yeah. um, who's going to um, be... John Major. Of, yeah, a bit. A bit. <laughs> um, but... You know, and Churchill is seen as the drunk who's kind of sort of, you know, eating truffles in one hand, sipping champagne in the other and smoking a yeah. cigar. But and al- uh, and also... And unreliable. But but actually the opposite... Yes, but, poli- but, but therefore politically, not a bad choice to give someone the job when you think you may have lost the war. Because <laughs> yeah. yes. he has to... If it all goes to, sh- uh, uh, to uh, shit, he's got to carry the can, which was part of the thinking... Surely, um, yes. uh, amongst some Tory politicians who are able to, oh, definitely, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, interestingly, that's kind of what Hitler thought of Churchill was that he was dissolute, yeah, that he was uh, a puppet. Obviously, I mean, because the thing is, the thing is with Hitler, absolutely everything you've got to, you've got, he's like a, it's like a mincer, whatever it is, you've got to feed the subject into Hitler's worldview and crank it, and it comes out the other end that basically he's a puppet of the Jews and a Bolshevist, yeah, 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 all that. But I think you know. We, what is true to say is that Hitler definitely has more than a grudging respect for Britain, yeah. for Britain's empire, for Britain. You know, his favourite film is Lies of a Bengal Lancer, for example. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he wants to, he sees Britain as the most dangerous enemy in 1939. And all the rhetoric and that run up to the outbreak of war yeah. in September 1939, what he's always talking about, actually, he doesn't talk about Britain, he talks about England, but he also says, yeah. England is our number one enemy. Uh, um, but there is this respect for it, respect for the empire, respect for their traditions, respect for um, what they've achieved. And well, because he wants a he, he fancies a piece of that kind of action, doesn't he? Yeah, of course he does. Yeah, he, wants his, he wants his own empire. Yeah, he wants his own kind yeah, of yeah, sense yeah. of kind of sort of place yeah, in the world yeah. that Britain has. And it's very easy in the second decade of the twenty first century to see Britain as this sort of much diminished place, you know, a, a little Britain. But in 1939, it is the world's leading superpower. Yeah. It has the largest empire the world has ever seen. It's got the largest navy. Which largest had got bigger navy. as a result of the First World War, is the other thing. Exactly. So which, 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 which shows that if you're of a mind that you, when you want to get what you want out of the world, you do it by having wars. You, 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 you know what I mean? Is yeah. Hitler can look at yeah, that. There are some the lessons there. The, exactly. You got the things got the British Empire got bigger after the after the First World War, because, but mainly by who snaffling up. German possessions, but but you know it only happened twenty years previously. That exact thing. Uh, in terms of character, I mean, they both love art. Um, yep. th- they love architecture. Um, he's a painter. Churchill's a painter. Does it in his spare time. Hitler tried to become a professional painter. Churchill, I in my well, both auto, is much better. And they're both autodidacts as well. Because uh, after yep. all, Churchill Churchill did very badly at school and sort of had to build himself an intellect. After, after his time in the army, and during yep. the army and then after the army, yep. and sort of create himself in that respect. And Hitler's arguably not, not that different. It's just the stuff he was reading <laughs> was slightly was on, a sl- on, a different, on a different level. They've both but written he, books, they've both published yeah. authors. Yeah. Um, and in factual fact, they nearly meet while Churchill is preparing his life of Marlborough. Because he, 
He was a historian, so I mean, we could have had him on as well, a, he's a historian, right? Could have him on as a guest, the, couldn't we? Speaking peoples, all the rest of it. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, he, without he, a well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it would be extraordinary. I mean, in, in all sorts of ways. I mean, we'd have had to invent a time machine. So I think we'd be wasting our time with the podcast if we'd invent a time machine, James. Anyway, the point, the point, the point is, um, but the, but the, but the. <laughs> The thing is, though, they also run things very differently. I mean, whatever yes. they think of each other, Hitler Hitler has this system where he's he's sort of like the fairy on top of the Christmas tree, yep. and then there's all these other people all competing with each other. Whereas Churchill is answerable to his chiefs of staff, he's answerable to his cabinet, um, and he's looking at the thing in a much more collegiate way. I think is, is that fair? that's fair to say, isn't it? I think it is much more collegiate, but but there's no question that that he's boss, and there's also no question that during the Second World War, you know, he's running roughshod over the normal kind of parliamentary democracy. Mm. You know, he's just sort of making huge decisions without sort of consulting the nation, without consulting much of Parliament, even yeah, without consulting even his wider cabinet. I mean, the War Cabinet is only five man strong. Yeah, and. You know, but that's not to say he's he's being dictatorial in any shape or form. He's certainly not. Major dissimilarities in their personality as well. Um, well, let's talk about the similarities. They both like staying up late. Yeah. They both like a, a, have a little bit of a line in the morning. Yeah. Um, they both like spouting forth. Yeah. Um, Churchill but, tends not to go on for two hours and yeah. you know rain everyone with spittle and bad breath. Yeah. Um, they're both into bright ideas, aren't they? They're both into bright ideas. They love modernity. They love invention. Anything new and shiny. They're yeah. kind of like magpies like that. They love all that kind of stuff. Um, Hitler is vegetarian, doesn't smoke, uh, doesn't really drink either. Yeah. Hit, um, Churchill smokes his massive stogies. He eats literally everything. Champagne for breakfast. Yeah, champagne for breakfast. You know, absolutely gets through a bottle of white, yeah. a bottle of, you know, drinks brandy, yeah. red wine. There's a sort of amazing description by Oliver Littleton, who becomes Lord Chandos, um, who ends up being Minister of Supply. And he's sort of going, you know, a, a dinner with Winston is just absolutely extraordinary. Because on, on the one hand, you know, he's taking a mouthful of steak and kidney pudding. In another hand, he's got a chocolate truffle. There's a kind of gulp of champagne, then a gulp of claret, then a kind of drawer on his cigar all the time. He never seems to stop talking. So you're not quite sure how he's managed to do all these things at the same time. <laughs> there is this sort of ter- incredible sense of, of absolute extraordinary energy. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about Hitler is as the war progresses, yes, his energy of, levels just kind of... Because he sort of dims like a bulb, doesn't he? Yeah. They both suffer from ill health. Um, his made worse by kind of the incredible cocktail of drugs he's having at the end of the war. But Churchill has, I mean, Churchill nearly dies in the war. Heart attack in North yeah, Africa. Yeah, 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 and gets pneumonia. Yeah. You know, that's a killer. Yeah. Um, but he pulls, you know, he gets through that. I mean, he, he spends the amount of trips he does on, on airplanes, which yeah. in the 1940s is just unbelievably dangerous. Yeah. Just going on an aircraft, let alone one in a war zone, um, is, is absolutely extraordinary. Um, Hitler is also a massive advocate of air power, and in, yeah. in the 1932-33 election, he uses it, he uses election, it to, yeah, yeah. to get around more. Yeah. You know, so that's absolutely in keeping. But disappears from view by the end of the war. They, no one's seen him publicly no. uh, for a very long time. At the end, and he stops broadcasting as well. He gets other people to do it for him and all that sort of thing. Doesn't yep. he? Yeah. Whereas uh, Churchill remains kind of front and centre. Absolutely. But 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 uh, I, I did I just I digressed us, and that happens often on this, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> They nearly met, 1932, they were going to meet, weren't they? Because Churchill was researching a book about Marlborough and they were going to meet for tea. Yes, and he was going to see the, the battlefield of Blenheim. That's right. Which is not a million miles from Munich. 
So he was staying in Munich and he, he got in contact with Hitler's people and they had arranged to meet for tea. And Hitler didn't turn up. You see, the, because what... One wonders what difference it would have made if they had met. Because after all, Hitler was famous for casting a spell over people. You know, Fuhrer attacked. The, the, the whole idea that the, the, the mm. touch of the Fuhrer and once you're in his spell, and so you have these, you, all these descriptions about, of people meeting Hitler where they're either, they're either, they either like get it and, they, and, and he gets them and, and, and he draws them in. Or they sort of, you get lots of descriptions of people standing aside. Why, what on earth did anyone see in this funny little, yeah, weird, yeah, yeah. Little, weird little scratchy man with a strange voice and the terrible, terrible speeches, you know, because, because yeah. if you weren't into his oratory... And even worse, halitosis. Exactly. Well, so, such bad halitosis. I mean, the, it, it, during the invasion of um, Poland, he did a frontline trip and his halitosis was so bad that people basically couldn't bear to, to be around him. But had to be, but had to be because he was the Fuhrer. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Packing of extra trauma. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, he did reduce people. I mean, what, what is really interesting? So, so Hitler what, doesn't go around executing his, his generals. He's not like Stalin. No, where you say the wrong thing, and you, when you leave the room, you that's the last room yeah. you ever leave. Yeah, he doesn't do that. He sacks generals. But he very, very rarely puts them to death. I mean, only after the kind of failed assassination attempt in 1944. And yet, despite this, he does reduce people to quivering wrecks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. von uh, uh, von Schultes, you know, who is yeah. uh, no von Brachich, yeah. who is the uh, commander chief of the army at the start of the war, for example. You know, he he is he goes in to meet Hitler several times, going right. I'm going to stand up for myself. Yeah, I'm going to stand up for the army. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm going to just tell him straight. Yeah. And he comes back, sort of, you know. Shaking, but he kind of, of had two methods, didn't he? Because he could, he could be incredibly charming, look you right in the eye with his penetrating gaze, yeah. as it were, or he'd or he'd chew the carpet and yell at you until you until until you gave into yeah. it. And he kind of had two modes. I mean, it, it, interesting. It's probably it probably illustrates the difference between the Nazi state and the Stalinist state is that Stalin actually his grip on things was even was even tighter. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, and the and the party's tighter. grip was even tighter. Yeah. Everything was. Everything was was uh, subservient to the party. The army, absolutely everything, was was beneath the party. Whereas, whereas what you've got in Germany uh, through the thirties into the forties is the is the party bumping alongside existing institutions and and every now and again trying to swallow them and sometimes failing and yes. and, and and then creating its own ones to sort of compete with it rather than being uh, the the overall umbrella organisation, which is what you have in the Soviet Union. Yeah. I think that's that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's very yeah. fair to say. Yeah, um, but but you're right because there was a moment where. Um, Admiral Horvey turns yep. up uh, um, from Hungary. Yeah. And it's March 1944, and Hitler's going, you've got all these Jews, we've got to get rid of them. Uh, and Horvey's going, well, you know, don't you threaten me, and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, I know you've been doing peace feeders, you're know, putting out peace feeders to the Allies, you know, you can forget that. We're going to, you know, you, you disagree with me, and, and we'll just invade the whole country, we'll yep. occupy you, and we'll still get rid of your Jews. So just get on it. And Horvey and him have this massive Barney, and Horvey storms out, and Hitler follows, and follows him down into another room. And eventually persuades him. Jesus. And as a result of that, you know, 460,000 Jews yeah. meet their death that summer. But, but, but a British politician who did meet Hitler, of course, Chamberlain, yeah. you know, who, who felt... I mean, obviously, he went, to, he went to see Hitler because he felt he had... I mean, there's this famous quote that says, I felt we could do business with him. Yeah. But he had to do business with him, is the way he, he saw it. So, so That's of real course, politics. So, of course, he thought, of course, he thought that. And... Uh, 
but it's interesting that he came away convinced that that there could be a deal to be done, and that um, you know, yeah, there's and, also and there's in, a in sense... Munich in many ways, in Munich, no deal was a deal was better than <laughs> that deal or whatever. Yeah, all that. But there was all that the, 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 he he did meet him, and he did feel he persuaded him. He did feel he'd made a connection with him, and he did feel that they were talking as rational there's actors. Also, with one there's also there's also a sense that in Munich, those talks in Munich, that actually Chamberlain massively outmanoeuvres. Hitler, because yeah. Hitler's absolutely spoiling to get, get unleashed in, in Czechoslovakia and, and go for war. He wants to unleash yeah. his war machine. And the negotiations stop that. Yeah. And he's completely wrong-footed by the kind of a little bit of paper, the pledge, which yeah. he does mano a mano in, in Hitler's flat, if I remember yeah. rightly. You know, it's absolutely extraordinary, really. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Chamberlain is, is the kind of sort of figure of ridicule and mockery that he's so often been well which be which and then things repeat themselves in in august of 39 when the british the british look like they are going to use poland as a tripwire basically which is what they do yeah the, and the and the german and hitler again is like oh they're gonna spoil my fun yeah I, 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 this time I, it's, you know I, I i want a war um i want to i want to do this and they're yeah. going to stop me and and in the end what he what he what he doesn't do is um is give in to pressure from the British, which is what he does in in Munich. Is it yeah. actually gives in to British pressure? Yeah. It, it's actually that way. It actually it is that way that, that way around, yes, which is. is what's really really interesting about it. Even though Chamberlain sold him out, Chamberlain yeah. and the French sold, yeah, sold yeah, out yeah. the chains. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they have. So it's yeah, not a yeah, moment. Yeah, but, yeah, no, 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 no. They gave in to British pressure, and the price of British yeah. pressure was selling out the checks. Exactly. I mean, but, I, but, but just go back, back to to Hitler and Churchill. I think I think the one really crucial area where they are massively different is that Churchill, by 1939, has this absolutely terrific geopolitical understanding. Yep. I mean, this is a man who has militarily fought on four different continents. Yep. You know, this is a man who's been all the senior positions of state. Mm. Um, he's travelled the world. He speaks different languages. He's read and read and read. He's a, and he's a historian. He's a European he's a historian. historian. So yeah. he, he gets how Europe, he gets how the world operates. He's, he's, he's used the... The extent of the British Empire and, and, and Britain's global trading empire to kind of learn more about how the world works. Hitler, on the other hand, has this incredibly myopic, narrow geopolitical understanding. Based, well, and that, that is his fatal flaw. And lives in a fantasy world. And lives in a fantasy world. I think we sorted it out. They didn't like each other and they were quite different. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, I'm Al Murray. I'm James Holland. Cheerio. Cheerio. See you again. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? 
Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. 